Today's episode of The People's Theology is dedicated to Eugene Peterson, who died Monday early in the morning. If you're not familiar with who Eugene Peterson is, he was a pastor and an author, and you should stop doing whatever it is that you're doing right now and pick up one of his books, any of them will do, and read it. Eugene Peterson taught me, at least, what it meant to be a pastor in so many ways. What it meant to be a person who wasn't consumed with celebrity or popularity or what the powerful people were doing around me, and instead to be consumed with depth, substance, people, time. There's a quote from Peterson that I turn to all the time, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's from his memoir, The Pastor, and it says simply, I am a pastor. My work has to do with God and souls, immense mystery that no one has ever seen at any time. But I carry out this work in conditions, place, and time that I see and measure wherever I find myself, whatever time it is, end quote. So this episode is for Peterson, the man who taught us more than anyone else what it looks like to be human, to be ordinary, and yet to live beautifully. This episode of The People's Theology is brought to you by Everyman. Everyman is the maker of quality everyday carry items like pens, wallets, bags, carabiners for your keys, things you need to do life every single day day. If you've never looked at the Everyman catalog, take a second to go to everyman.co. If you find something you like, use our code TPTPODCAST at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That's TPTPODCAST at checkout. Everyman.co, check it out. You won't regret it. You really want to know who Superman is? (laughs) The first rule is stand up straight with your shoulders back. Get ready. You've got things to do. There's chaos to confront. There's order to establish and revivify. And there's evil to constrain. When I put this hat on, you made a Superman. That's my favorite superhero. In this season of The People's Theology, we're asking the question, how do we engage the world? How do we change it? How do we enter into our workplaces or our neighborhoods, our communities, our governments, even our churches, and make them better? So far, we've explored this in the life of the local church. We've asked, what does it look like for the people of Jesus to be something different, to engage the world differently? And we're going to continue asking that. And at some level, we're always asking that. But specifically, the question that we're going to ask today is, what kind of person does it take to change the world? If we want to engage our communities and our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and even our churches, and make them something different, make them something better, well, what do we need to be? What kind of person do we need to be? And it's a question that we have to ask 
Because regardless of whether we realize it or not, our world has models that we look to for instruction in how to engage the world. Some of those models are implicit and some of those models are explicit. Meaning some of those models are people that we celebrate. We celebrate certain business leaders or historic figures or politicians and say, this is a way to get things done in this world. But there are also implicit models. They're just stories that shape and form our imagination for what it looks like to be a person who changes the world for good or for ill. And those models, both the implicit ones and the explicit ones, they shape us, they form us, they give us an imagination for what changing the world looks like. And we have to ask whether or not those models are right, whether or not they lead to life and whether or not they lead to something good and beautiful. And sadly, many of us have to ask whether or not those models even include us, whether or not we have a role to play in the story our world tells about changing the world. My name is Johnny Morrison, and you're listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by Missio Day and the Gospel Collective in Salt Lake City, Utah. The People's Theology is a show about theology and culture, trying to make sense of those things like they matter, because they do. The thing we're looking at in today's episode is what kind of person or what kind of people we need to be in order to make the world around us better. To help us make sense of this conversation, we're interviewing an author named Dan Stanford, who just released a book called Losing the Cape. And Dan's argument is that we have embraced, accidentally or intentionally, a certain model of life and power and cultural engagement that is impossible for us to live into. The model that we've inherited places a pressure on us that we cannot endure, and it calls us to do something we simply cannot do, which leaves us stuck. But the good news is, we don't have to live out of that model. In fact, we're invited into something different, something better. Something that you might be able to argue is actually even bigger though at first it may not feel like it. So Dan Stanford, the guy we're talking to today, is an author and a pastor and... Normal guy. Uh, like I tell uh, people all the time um, that, you know, even though I wrote a book, I planted a church, I'm... I'm not really a title person. Uh, bottom line is I'm Dan, and these are just things that I do to serve God and to help out other people. Um, so like I, I jokingly say on my Twitter forum, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Sure. You know, that's kind of the bottom line. Dan just came out with his book, Losing the Cape. And I'll let him explain to you what it is and why he wrote it, but it hits on something that I've always been fascinated by, which is how do we think about power? And how do we think about the way we utilize our power in engaging the world? Because 
whether we like it or not, or whether we think it's true or not, or serious or not, maybe I should say, one of the models of cultural engagement that we get is one of strong power. One that you see playing out in history, in politics, in business, and it'd be easiest to see in superhero movies. Yeah, yeah. My I've got uh, three kids, ranging from teenager to toddler, and so we've sm- spent a, a small fortune in merchandise and movies when it comes to Marvel and DC and, and all of that more Marvel than DC these days. Um, and so uh, I just started noticing uh, just this huge obsession with mm. kind of like the, the superhero culture. Um, in fact, my uh, my four-year-old actually learned his colors based on Hulk green, Iron Man red, and Captain America blue. <laughs> we were afraid we we're going to run out of characters before for colors. And, um, and so, you know, there's just kind of like this huge obsession, but at the same time, just kind of noticing as a pastor, um, that politically, economically, racially, there's just all this tension going on. And so on one side, you know, we're looking at all these superheroes who are, you know, quote unquote, saving the day. And yet our reality is so different than what it is that we're watching on the screen. And I think kind of subconsciously people are like, you know, who's going to save the day? Who's going to make a difference? And, um, and so that just really got me kind of digging into kind of the comic book culture beyond, um, my kids obsession and, uh, and kind of what I grew up with. And, um, and that just what led to kind of the idea for the book. The model of leadership or world changing or engagement that we so often get is one of coercion. It's like strong armed power. Now we don't say it that way or think about it that way, but it's like this intense masculinity or heroic masculinity, or it's this powerful confrontation of chaos. That's the picture that we so often get. And Dan in many ways is critiquing that model and inviting us into something more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of the idea that, you know, God didn't send Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman. You know, he sent people like us mm-hmm. and, you know, um, I'm built like, where's Waldo? You know, I've always been, you know, the, the skinniest guy in, in the class. Um, you know, I wasn't necessarily the, the, the smartest, the strongest, uh, or even the most spiritual. Um, and yet I, I think there's great comfort realizing that God historically, he's not tapping on the shoulder of the top 2%, you know, he's tapping on the shoulder of the 98% and saying, you know, Hey, I want to do something with the David, the Ruth, the Rahab, the, the ordinary person, uh, who doesn't have all those things, uh, but can be used how they are. And I think that's one of the challenges of the superhero culture is I think we get so focused on the powers we don't have Mm -hmm. that we overlook the powers we do have. And I think that's kind of the bottom line is that God's already equipped us with what we need to make a difference in our corner of the world. Um, We just often feel inadequate. I think there are genuine, practical, real-world consequences to focusing on the powers we don't have as opposed to the powers we do. And I think it more often than not leads to a feeling of powerlessness a feeling that we are powerless to change the world around us, to even change our own circumstances. And that feeling of powerlessness, well, I think it leads to frustration, it leads to anger, it leads to sadness, sometimes withdrawal from the world. But often it leads to a sense of anxiety. 
Oh, yeah. I think there's definitely a tension between um, kind of like this expectation and, and kind of where we feel we're at and what we can bring. I think it's interesting if you look at the first superhero, as far as comics are concerned, 1938 was Superman. And what's interesting to me about it is the context in which he was created. You know, you just had World War I, you had the Great Depression, and World War II was just about to begin. So it was really appealing to have this godlike being who can have bullets bounce off of him and take Nazis out in one punch. People were feeling insecure. They were feeling insignificant. They were feeling like, you know, what can we possibly do on this global scale? Um, and I think that kind of the same thing's happening now is that there is that anxiety. There is that tension, that feeling like, you know, what can I possibly offer to make a difference and, uh, and feeling so overwhelmed can look at just kind of like even our celebrity culture mindset, you know, even in the church world. Um, I did a church plant and another church planted their church um, like six months later in the same area. And we financially, we, we helped them out kind of get in their sound system for their kids ministry. And, uh, and they outgrew us like triple the size, like in the first year. Uh, and it would be very easy to be kind of jealous of like, wow, you know, look at all the resources that they have. They got more money, they got more volunteers, they got more stuff. Uh, what could we possibly offer our neighborhood, you know, the, the people that God's put us amongst? And it would be easy to feel self-defeated, like, you know, look at all that they have you know, available to them. And um, but that's backwards thinking. You know, this is a, a kingdom effort and God has placed my church, which is called the well in the neighborhood that it's in to be a difference where it's at. And we can do things that that larger church can't do. Uh, for example, the neighborhood we're in, there is a, a trailer park right behind us. And when we moved in, we noticed that there was a fence that went all around the church property that didn't belong to the church, but had been put up by like previous homeowners and all that type of stuff. Well, if you were in the trailer park and you wanted to attend our church, you had to walk several blocks to get to our building. Mm. And so we just started praying. It's like, you know, God, how can we either take the fence down or put a gate in so that, you know, people can easily access the church? And, um, and so we had this, uh, this Easter event where we invited the neighborhood to come out. We did, you know, a traditional kind of like Easter egg hunt and extravaganza and stuff. And uh, one of the people who happened to be there was the owner of the trailer park. And I just started kind of pitching the idea to him. I was like, you know, we'd love to be able to put, you know, a gate in here, make things easier for people. And they said, you know what, we love that idea. We'll pay for it. You know, we we're able to do something for that neighborhood that, you know, that the other church couldn't do just because of proximity and because of where God strategically located us. And so I, I think that's some of kind of what I'm getting at is that we can get so focused on what everyone else has that we're negligent of what we have and being creative, what we have, you know, they, they say, you know, we need to think outside the box. Well, sometimes you need to think inside the box and yeah. you know, what's the box that God gave you and what can you do with it? The question then is what is the alternative? What is the other vision of engaging the world of changing it that we're offered? If it's not this like coercive, strong, heroic vision, what is it? Where do we find it? What does it look like? What does it mean for us? Well, I think for me, um, where this really started making the most sense is reading through the book of Acts, which is the first like, 30 years of church history. 
And then bumping into Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where you have Jesus' original followers who were, you know, fishermen, tax collectors. You know, these weren't scholars. These weren't your PhDs. Um, you know, the, these were, you know, kind of your blue-collar individuals. And there's a fascinating statement in 4.13 where it says, uh, of the people who are noticing the impact that the disciples are having, they said, these were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And that phrase just really um, stuck with me. These were ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. And I think that that's what God's calling us back to, is that you know we don't have to be the superhero. We don't have to save the day to give ourselves to that and to be okay with being okay um, and to be freed up to be ordinary. Uh, I think mediocrity and ordinary have kind of gotten a bad rap. They only sound like derogatory terms. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, no one wants to be the ordinary pastor. <laughs> you know, no one wants to be, you know, the, the most mediocre uh, author. Um, uh, my kids wouldn't be excited if I came to them and says, Hey guys, we're going to go out and we're going to watch a superhero about ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Well, no, thanks dad. Uh, save your money. Um, but I think that the, that ordinary can be celebrated if we start realizing, uh, the value that is there, that, that God has, um, historically, biblically always, you know, tapped on the shoulder of the extremely ordinary. It almost seems like he goes out of his way to find the ordinary, to, to use them and to mobilize them. So like that is so counterintuitive in so many ways because it's not what the culture of superhero shows. And so what does it look like for us to... Uh, cultivate ordinariness? Like, what does that even look like in our own lives? Mm-hmm. Um, someone that I, I point to uh, in the book, and, and I'll use it just kind of uh, two stories as a, as a springboard. Uh, one is going to be my wife, and then going to be the uh, first two people I baptized. Um, so my wife, her name's Suzanne, and I have a chapter called The Her and Hero, which is, you know, all about her. Um, and she, uh, has uh, retinitis pigmentosa with Usher syndrome, uh, which means that she's losing both her eyesight and her hearing. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, two very debilitating, uh, things. And, um, and she has every right to be served. You know, every morning she could wake up and expect everyone else to kind of cater to her and to, uh, be there for her. And she would have that right. Mm-hmm. But she chooses to serve. And in fact, her, her favorite phrase is choose joy. You know, every day she chooses in spite of how she feels, in spite of the challenges, uh, in spite of the injustice. Um, She models for my family what servanthood looks like in spite of the challenges. And I I think it's such a a beautiful picture because we don't always get to serve from a place of health and happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think too many of us are waiting until we're strong enough or we're um, independent enough or we're gifted enough or we're smart enough. Then I'll finally start doing something. Mm -hmm. And God's asking us to start now, start with what you have now. And she models that she's like, you know what? I I'm never going to have my eyesight back. I'm never going to have my hearing back. I'm never going to, you know, have those things, but I can do things anyways, in spite of the challenges that I'm facing. And it's a, it's a great picture for my kids, uh, because they get to see her serve from a place of tears, from a place of frustration. Uh, in fact, our, our family's theme verses, I believe help my unbelief mm-hmm. that it's okay to have doubt. It's okay to wrestle and still, um, be that quote unquote hero in spite of those challenges. One of the things that makes this difficult of living into a different reality or a different way of engagement 
is that we don't have a lot of tools or stories to help us cultivate a different imagination. In fact, even some of the stories that should help us cultivate a different imagination, well, we've re-narrated with this other model and taken away its ordinariness and projected onto it our own vision of heroism. So where do we go to cultivate a new story or a new imagination? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we need to get back into kind of the, the biblical stories. But one of the challenges is that we tend to look at the biblical stories through the lens of superheroes. Yeah. You know, we look at David not as the young boy, but we look at David as the one who slayed the giant. And we're looking kind of anachronistically at, you know, him who's already victorious, him who's already, you know, kind of saved the day rather than realizing, no, he was just a shepherd boy who, um, you know, had to lean into God into you know, trust that, you know, God could use him. And, uh, and, and so, uh, that's challenging because I, I think that the very tool that would free us, we we've almost, um, turned it into something that enslaves us mm-hmm. because we're reading back into it, uh, things that God didn't intend for, you know, I mean, it's one of, and I'm going to ramble here a little bit, but I think one of the reasons why God includes so many failures, you know, in scripture and, and why we get to see things unedited is to help us kind of defang that, that, that concept and to, you know, kind of remove that mythology, that, that, that false idea that, you know, it, it's only, you know, the heroes. Um, and so I, I think we need to just kind of have our perspective change. So we need to have our perspectives of power and engagement changed. We need to see the world differently, see our own role in the world differently. And we need to find a place and a tool to cultivate that new imagination in us. And the best place that I know to do that is in the stories of Jesus and how he wields power and how he engages the world. And yes, you can look at him and say like, but isn't Jesus this crazy powerful figure Yes, that's true in some ways, but the greatest act of power that Jesus ever displays is in giving up power. And so he presents this perfect image for what it looks like for us to be his followers, living in this world, not as powerful heroes or something, but as just ordinary followers of Jesus. In uh, Mark uh, chapter one and two, you see him have this incredibly busy day where, you know, he starts off in the synagogue and he casts a demon out of an individual. And then after that, he leaves and he heals Peter's ma, uh, mother-in-law. And then he spends, you know, a large part of the night healing people and delivering people. And then the very next day you see that he's up before everyone else and he's spending time with God. And I think it's intimacy with God creates impact for God. And I think oftentimes we want what Jesus did or what Jesus accomplished without having to have the disciplines of Jesus. You know, we want to be able to go and and make a difference in people's lives, but we don't want to spend time praying the way that he prayed or um, sacrificing the way that he sacrificed. And, um, And I think that, you know, for us, um, I think we have to kind of get back to some of, of that grassroots. Is that you know my power is not going to go come from me going to a large church conference, learning the three things that Greg Crochelle did, and try and reproduce that in my church. 
because guess what? He had to pray about those ideas and get those ideas, and that's why they work where he's at. I need to be praying about what does God want me to do in, in my church? You know, what does he want me to do? Because it might not be those three things. It might be something totally different that I need to be doing, and I'm missing out because I'm trying to reproduce what someone else did. Now, with all of that said, it leads to the question that we've been asking throughout this entire season, which is, how do we, as followers of Jesus, engage the world and make it something better? How do we love it, serve it, give ourselves to it in a way that helps as opposed to hurts? How do, in Dan's language, ordinary Christians who aren't trying to live out this heroic vision of life, this super heroism, how do they engage the world? What do we do? We'll talk about that after a short break. This episode of The People's Theology is brought to you by Creek Tea. Now, I don't know who you are, or if you're a tea drinker or not a tea drinker. Either way, I think you're going to like Creek Tea. Creek Tea makes accessible, delicious tea that is intended for everybody. Maybe you're a coffee drinker like me and you've never been into tea. Perfect. Maybe you love high-quality teas. Perfect. Either way, Creek Tea is for you. Check out the website creektea.com and use our code TPTPODCAST at checkout for 25% off your entire order whenever you order. Creek Tea also has a retail shop at 155 East, 900 South in Salt Lake City, Utah. Go there, check it out. And remember to use our code online, TPTPODCAST, for 25% off. So, how do ordinary followers of Jesus change the world? How do they engage it? How do they engage the deep questions of our cultural moment, the division, the isolation, the anxiety, the injustice? How do ordinary Christians, ordinary churches engage those issues and make something better of the world around them? What do they do? Uh, I wrote kind of a phrase in the book, sometimes justice comes down to just us. And, uh, and, and I think that, um, we can't keep standing around waiting for, um, the dot-com billionaire or the politician or the celebrity pastor to come do it. We need to do it. You know, we need to, you know, start making that difference. But I think where we kind of get it wrong is we put ourselves this pressure on ourselves that somehow we have to change the world. Well, that's not expected of any one of us. I think what we need to do is make a difference in our corner of the world. Where has God placed you, you know, your family, your neighborhood, your church, your context? What can you do starting there? Because if all of us did that, you know, because God's got people all around the planet, Mm -hmm. you know, if all of us did that, then we would change the world. You know, it doesn't come down to just Dan Stanford to do it. I would be overwhelmed and I just wouldn't do anything. But if I realize, no, 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 I can do something about my neighbor. I feel like every single year I hear another really rich person describing some project that they're investing their money in in order to save the world. And Bill Gates and Richard Branson were both 
spending tons of money, millions of dollars worth of money to figure out how to pull CO2 out of the air and how to deal with climate change. There's like a literal cult that follows Elon Musk and worships every decision that he makes because for some reason his loop or his trip to Mars is going to save the world. We may not think that actual superheroes are going to save us, but what Dan is saying is that we often look to super powerful people as the solution to our problems. But if we're honest, if we take an honest appraisal of what we see around us, the efforts of the super powerful, the projects of the super rich, do they often change the world for the better? Do they often make this place what we dream it will be? You know, every, every time Hulk tries to save the day, he causes just as much damage as he does, you know, good. And, and I think that the church historically, you know, has done the same thing. There's been so many times where we've come in to try and save the day and, and we've done a lot of damage in the process. I had uh, written a statement about how heroes become villains and villains become heroes and uh, and how hard it is to, you know, always kind of make that discernment in today's culture. And, and we've been watching leader after leader kind of fall and collapse. We keep putting our hope and our pressure on one person or one institution or one system or one political party even, expecting that they might be able to do something about the problems around us without significantly damaging the world and problems around us. And yet we keep finding ourselves disappointed. If you look at the New Testament, look at the story of the church in the book of Acts, as Dan pointed to earlier, you don't see a community of people who put much hope in the government or the super powerful of their day. In fact, they can't. They don't have that luxury. So instead, they have to ask how they themselves, as ordinary, poor, and even powerless people, could engage their neighborhoods, their communities. And they do. Now, it's different. It looks different. Feels different. But it also produces different results than when superheroes or super-powerful people throw their might around in the world. It produces something good, beautiful. Well, I think that we could get back to the kind of impact that the early church had. You know, you look at that first 30 years, and you see statements like, God added to the church daily those who were being saved. Not those who were just attending you know, but people who are engaged. And I think that that's a big challenge that we're facing as a modern church is that, yeah, there's people who are attending uh, our churches, but how engaged are they really? You know, how engaged are they in servanthood? How engaged are they in discipleship? How engaged are they in evangelism? And in that early church, you know, they, they were, um, you know, as we described, they're 
very ordinary individuals. You know, they're the last people that you would expect to be kind of turning their world upside down. And yet they did, you know, some historians say that there was 50,000 people who were following Christ after that first 30 years. That's a pretty big difference from 120 at the beginning to 50,000. I think any one of us would love to have a church that 30 years later has touched that many lives. And, uh, and so that's my, my ultimate dream is that if we get back to uh, embracing the ordinary and, and being comfortable with who God's called each of us to be, we take the pressure off. I don't have to be the next Billy Graham. I don't have to be the, the next, you know, superhero, so to speak, uh, but I can just be me mm-hmm. that it would be so one liberating and freeing. I mean, just uh, just not have to have that pressure anymore. That not have to have that anxiety, that tension, and then the kind of impact that that would have on our families. You know, uh, I mean, just think of, just as a pastor. You know how how often we, we're toxic when we come to you know to be with our wife and our kids because we're carrying so much pressure, feeling like we've got to be the one to you know to do all this stuff, and you don't. That's not what God's called you to. He's, he's called you to just be His hands and feet in whatever capacity you know He wants from you. And um, so I just I think it would just be very freeing, and I think the impact would be so much greater. You've been listening to The People's Theology, brought to you by the Missio Collective in Salt Lake City. For more information about what we do or about the church, check out our website at missiouta.com. I want to offer a special thanks to Dan Stanford for being on the show today. If you're interested in Dan's book, which I recommend, Losing the Cape, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever it is that you buy books. Music on today's episode was produced by Lee Rosevere, Scott Holmes, and Broke Free. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you go to iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and rate us? It really helps people find the show. But even more importantly, would you share today's episode with somebody you know? Somebody's asking similar questions or talking about similar issues or wondering how Christians can engage the world. Share it with them, have a conversation. And then check back soon for another episode. Thanks.